God, we thank you that this morning that you want to speak to us. God, this morning that you want to do something intimate and something special in our hearts. God, I pray for those that came in here. God, maybe um, coming into a service like um, this was a bit of a culture shock for them, or maybe they're not used to it. God, I pray whatever preconceived notions that there are, or God, whatever traditions or backgrounds that we've come from, God, that we would understand we are here for one common goal, and that is simply you. God, that is simply you. God, and we pray that you would do this morning what you are just so good at doing, and you would be a father to us. God, I pray for the single moms in here, God, that um, are raising um, their families on their own. God, that this morning that you would give them a special grace. God, I pray for the dads in here, God, that you would encourage them, that you would impart something into their hearts. God, that would call them and want them to rise up to be a father and model their lives off of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You know, probably the most important person to you in your entire life, the most influential person to you in your entire life has been your dad. Um, whether you realize it or not, I remember from a very, very young age, if, if those of you that have met my dad, he, when he walks into a room, he's one of those guys that just commands the room um, instantly. Uh, he's a very humorous, funny guy. He is always the loudest guy in the room, just the loudest guy in the room. And so I have learned so much from my dad. And one of the things that I have learned um, more than anything is just to simply how to love people. My dad loves people so well. Um, I have seen him in situations that just boggle my mind. Uh, we were in Starbucks the other day, and we're sitting down talking. We walk in, and the door's open, and we're waiting in line, and there's this huge line coming out of the door, and he strikes up this conversation with somebody, and just like randomly is talking with them. Five minutes later, um, they're outside. The guy's crying, and my dad's praying for him. I'm like, how do you do that? <laughs> how do you do that? And uh, that's just who he is. He deeply loves people. My dad has had a huge impact on my life. Um, I would not be where I am today without my dad. I've learned absolutely everything that I know, how to do ministry, how to do all those things um, from my dad. And uh, I say that my dad is the most influential person, not just because it's Father's Day, but because it's the truth. Um, it's the truth. He's carried so much weight in my life. I truly value his opinion. I value what he has to say, his advice. But here's the thing. I'm fully aware that there are people in this room where that is not the case. Um, there's always the opposite side of the spectrum where the dad wasn't there. Um, maybe you didn't have a good father. So for me, when I, when I say father, I have good memories. I have good times. And not to say that my dad wasn't perfect and not to say that I got my fair share of beatings. I did. Um, but I know that some of you are there. You're like, man, I never, I never knew my dad. Or, uh, man, my, my dad was never there for me. Or he was so busy working that you never had an opportunity to really build a relationship with him. And so one of the things that I want to do this morning is I don't really want to point towards earthly fathers. And I think that is a good and, and novel thing to do. But I want to point you to the good father this morning. I want to point you to Jesus because no matter what side of the spectrum you come from, whether you had an awesome dad and... and um, Hats off for the dads that were awesome. And then some of you came from backgrounds where, to be honest with you, maybe you had a bad dad because he had a bad dad and he just never knew how to do it. And so I want to point you to Jesus this morning because ultimately the person in the work of Jesus Christ has been more influential in my life more than any dad could ever be. And so here's what I want to get at this morning. Is all of your deepest longings 
all of your desires, all of your um, unfelt needs, every deep longing that you have will be dried up when you truly know Jesus. When you truly know that Jesus is a good, good father. Now, here's the truth. A good father is actually a good shepherd. He's a good shepherd. And there is this um, phrase all throughout the New Testament that Jesus is constantly referring himself to. And he refers himself to the good shepherd. The good shepherd. We're gonna, in John 10, 10 verse through 11, it says this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. This was honestly probably Jesus' favorite description of himself. And throughout the Bible, Jesus uses, uses many metaphors to describe himself. But the one thing that I want to get at this morning is that Jesus is a shepherd and you are the flock. Jesus is the great father. He is the great shepherd and we are the flock. In Psalms 103, it says this, Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So let me tell you why I love this phrase, why I love referring Jesus to a shepherd, because actually, actually in the Hebrew text, shepherd is the closest word to pastor. Shepherd is the closest word to pastor. Actually, in the New Testament, the words are constantly interchangeable with one another. And here's what I want to get at this morning, is Jesus wants to be your pastor this morning. Jesus wants to be your pastor. Jesus wants to be your father. So no matter where you're at, no matter if you feel like, man, I'm on the top of the mountain right now and life is going great. Or no matter if you're in the valley, one day is going to come when you need a shepherd to steer you and to lead you and to guide you and ultimately to be a father to you. Everyone needs a pastor, and I'm not just talking about myself. Although it is good for us to have pastors, I'm talking about Jesus. I'm talking about Jesus. So, 1 Corinthians um, chapter 4 15 through 17. We're going to pause. We're going to read this and then we're going to pause for a moment. Now, let me set it up what's going on. In 1 Corinthians, the church is kind of going amok, right? They are just um, running rampant, kind of falling away from the gospel a little bit. And so Paul writes some very harsh words. And one thing that he notices, and check this out. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Listen. It's, it's awesome to have people to give you wisdom, and it's awesome to have people that give you advice. But the truth is you need a father that can look at you in the eye and say, what are you doing, son? What's going on? Like, man, your marriage is just struggling. And, and is there something that I, I can help you with? See, a father does not just point out the wrong things. He teaches you how to live. That's the thing that I love about my dad. He didn't just look at me and say, son, why, why did you do that? Don't do that again. He constantly modeled this example of saying, okay, listen, you don't really, you don't do it like this. Let me show you how to do it. So you might have some guides, you might have people that can breathe wisdom into your life, but the truth is, to what Paul is saying, he's like, listen, church, you have many guides, you have a lot of people that can offer wisdom, but you need a father. So he says, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you, then be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you, get this, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. We need a father because he reminds us of what is good. 
He reminds us of what is good. So listen, if you don't know Jesus this morning, this is simply an invitation for you to know Jesus. And know this, no matter what background or what socioeconomic status you've come from, Jesus wants to be your father. And there is no greater father than a father that is always there, that never fails you, that never lets you down. Ultimately, you can model your life after a true father. And listen, I think that this sermon could go kind of both and, right? Um, that we're talking about Jesus, but that we're also talking about people in our lives that we can look up to, that have a relationship with Jesus, and that can help father us. We have this term at our church, and sometimes it sounds weird to people, people, but we call it spiritual family. Um, because the truth is, some people walk in these doors and they don't have a real family. Uh, maybe they have a biological, natural family. Everybody has that, but maybe they weren't really a family to you. And ultimately, what we see as a church is that it's not just simply an organization, but it's a family. So maybe you come in here and you never had a dad, and, and hopefully our job is to have you come in here and introduce you to other men that love Jesus, and they can be your father. And they can point you to the good shepherd. I've seen it countless times over and over, people coming in the church and in our Jennings campus, and even here in this church, of just don't have a father, don't have a dad, and they have men that take lightning to them. And it changes their world. It changes their life. So the most beautiful description of Jesus as a shepherd is, I think, a passage of Scripture that we're all very familiar with. Psalms 23. So can we do this real quick? Can you throw it up there? Can we read it aloud and read it? You just read it with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Come on, you help me out a little bit. I will fear what? No evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is probably a scripture that you've heard countless times, right? Countless times. It's probably the scripture like as you're drinking coffee in the morning. And if you get Christian, cheesy Christian mugs, it's got this verse on it, right? You've heard it over and over. But I'm telling you, this is one of the most beautiful descriptions that you can see in the text of the Father. And so what I want to do is, is this real quick. I encourage you, if you have a Bible or if you have an app, a, a phone app with a Bible on it, take it out. Because what I want you to see is that this text up here, like I'm not just writing it, okay? I'm not making it up. So what I want to do this morning is simply this. I want to take six things out of the scripture and show you what a true shepherd is and show you what a true father is. And I'm not just, I don't want to, I want you to see, and that's why I want you to take out your Bible. I'm not just making this up. This is actually what scripture is teaching us. So number one, according to Psalms 23:1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If you're taking notes, this is your first blank. Number one, the shepherd provides. The shepherd provides. It says, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. The Hebrew word for that is you will lack nothing. You will lack nothing. Here's the deal. When Jesus becomes your father, you lack nothing. And I know some of you are thinking, what? You're joking, right? Do you know my life? Like, I have lacked a lot of things. 
Uh, I've gone through life and it's been difficult and it's been hard. And how can you say that I lack nothing? The truth is we've all struggled and I believe those times, honestly, they shape our character. But we come, when we come to a head-on collision with a Jesus, we understand that he's a father and that he's going to provide and he's going to take care of us. If you have kids, it's this easy to understand this. Is your kids wake up in the morning and they do not go like, what am I going to eat today? Am I going to be able to eat? My kids don't worry about absolutely anything. They think like Pop-Tarts just magically appear in the pantry. Right? Like, oh, there's a whole new box and I'm going to eat three of them. Right? They just get there. They don't understand that, hey, mom and dad have to work for that. And that's how it gets there because we provide for them. They have no wants. Their necessities, their needs, they're taken care of. Ultimately, in Philippians, it says this, 419, And my God will meet all your needs according to the glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And you may ask, okay, how do I get under that? <laughs> how do I get to a place where I feel like God is providing and taking care of me? And listen, this is not to say that you're not going to go through difficult times. You are. You're going to go through hard times. Scripture is very clear on that. But how do we feel like there is a God that is constantly providing for us? Any of you guys own one of these? Umbrella? Um, my wife was going to let me borrow one this morning. It was a pink, like, polka dotted one. And I said, I'm going to go ask somebody else for one. Um, but I've, I've used this description with my kids multiple times. When you understand that Jesus is your father, it's kind of like being under an umbrella in the storm. And, and here's what happens. As soon as you decide to go, you know what? I think I can figure out life better on my own. I don't, I don't need a father. I don't need wisdom. I don't need a guide. What happens? You get out from under the umbrella and you get wet. And you go through the storms of life and you go through things that are difficult and you don't have any answers. And you keep trying to find them in relationships and boys and girls and jobs and possessions and wealth. And guess what happens? As soon as you get back under the umbrella, things start to make sense. And it doesn't mean that all of a sudden life just gets a whole lot better, but it starts to make a whole lot more sense because you have a father that's taking care of you, that is leading you, that is providing for all of your needs. Because let's be honest with ourselves. The greatest need that we have is not that we're clothed and not that we have food in our bellies, although those are important things. The greatest need that every human desires and every human longs for is their soul to be whole. Why do you keep searching? Why do you keep looking in things that don't keep you under this? You see, I've used this illustration with my kids so many times. I said, son, listen, dad is kind of like an umbrella. You're six years old and you know nothing about life right now. He thinks he does. My, my oldest son, he's a very smart kid, and he thinks he knows absolutely everything about life. Anybody had any kids like that? Maybe they're like 20-something, and they still think they know everything about life. I was one of those. <laughs> and, and here's what I teach my sons all the time. Is son, as long as you stay close to dad, I'll take care of you, I'll provide for you, and I'll teach you everything that you need to know. But as soon as you get to a place where you think your way is better than mine, it's kind of like going outside of this umbrella. You can learn, and, and you can figure it out the hard way, but I'd rather teach you all my failures and all the things that I've gone through, and then I can say, hey, son, watch out for that puddle. You're going to drown in it. 
The storms of life are going to hit you. The storms of life are going to overwhelm you. So here's the thing. The reason we need a good, good father is because he provides for us. He takes care of us. He's the only one that can feel the longing and the dissatisfaction that you have in your soul. And you can try to find it in all of these things. You'll never find it. Number two. Psalms 23, 1-3 says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Number two, the shepherd restores. You ever wonder in that line, like, why does it say God makes me lie down? He makes me lie down. Why? Because you won't do it yourself. You won't do it yourself. You're not going to come to a place where you're going to say, okay, God, I surrender. So sometimes, you know what he does? He causes circumstances in our life. Oh, you don't want to lie on, down on your own? I'm going to make you lie down. And the reason that he does that is because he loves us so much that he's going to put us in circumstances and situations sometimes to make us flip the lights on. You ever been in a situation you're like, oh, shoot, I probably shouldn't have done that, and that was really stupid. You ever been there and it's all of a sudden kind of like the light comes on? But it only came on when you faced adversity. It only came on when you went through something difficult. A lot of times God has to make us rest. I'm not going to tell you anything that my dad wouldn't tell you himself. But one of the reasons, and many of you know this story, my dad has been on a journey for about four and a half, almost five years now, dealing with cancer. And he would say that in the very, probably first year to two year kind of bout with it, he said, I genuinely believe that I've been able to walk through this journey because God just genuinely wants me to learn how to rest. My dad was like, just constantly go, get a little bit of sleep, and then get up and do it all over again and stay so busy. And he said, in this time, I've, I've learned how to rest, and ultimately, I've learned how to find myself again. Here's the thing, in life, if you don't take care of your soul, and if you stay so busy, you begin to lose parts of yourself. Every summer I have a goal to, to get away for a few days and go, God, help me find and restore certain pieces of my soul again. Because in life, there's this tendency to like constantly stay busy, constantly stay connected to things. We feel like we're going to die if we leave our phone somewhere. Oh my gosh, I don't know if they're going to be messaging me. Are they going to comment on my thing? Is somebody going to text me? We, we feel like we die if we leave our phones at home or something. The truth is, God wants to restore our souls. He's a good father. So many of us are in dry pastures, wandering aimlessly. And the truth is, you need a shepherd to break your legs and lead you to green pastures. That's what the shepherd does. I don't know if you know this about sheep. They're pretty dumb. So look at your neighbor and say, well, they're pretty dumb. Just kidding, don't do that. Sheep are not the smartest animals in the world. And they've got popular YouTube posts of goats and sheep. Anybody, like, you've watched the fainting goats? Like, I've watched those things, like, a thousand. It's just funny, and I don't know why I keep watching it. But sheep are not the smartest animals in the world. And oftentimes, and this is still practice for many shepherds, when the sheep are in the flock and one begins to be led astray. He begins to think, you know what, I think I can find greener grass over here, and I'm going to go eat over here. So the shepherd will chase the sheep, 
comes to the sheep, he'll warn the sheep, he'll bring him back to the flock, and if the sheep does it again, the shepherd will take his staff and he breaks the sheep's legs. He puts it on his back and he leads it back to the flock and he nurses the sheep back to health and he reminds him, hey, listen, if you're constantly around the shepherd, I'll take care of you. I'll provide for you. I'll restore you. And so sometimes, listen, sometimes we go through things and they can't be explained. But could it be that sometimes God is just trying to break our legs and say, hey, listen, your provision is by me. Your provision is when you're with me. Your provision is with a good, good father. It's not in anything that this world is selling. You can buy into all the things, but it's not going to provide for you like I could provide for you. When is the last time that you sat on the hillside and fed on the comfort of God's word? Here's the truth. There's many of you that need to come to a place today where you turn off the news, you turn off the radio, you turn off the TV, you turn off the phone, and you quiet your soul, and you begin to allow God to restore you. My wife and I have been talking about this lately, um, not this week coming up, but the next week we will be going away for a few days, and we've already said, you know what, for those few days that we're away, we're going to go dark. <laughs> We're going to go dark. We're just going to turn off every technology thing. We're going to turn off our phones. We're going to turn off all of our connectedness with the world. And I can almost guarantee you that I'm going to come back with some new things from Jesus, feeling closer to Jesus, feeling more connected to Jesus. Because I'm taking time to quiet my soul to say, God, is there anything in my heart that is dissatisfying, displeasing to you? Restore my soul. The Hebrew meaning of restore is to return back to the point of departure. Number three, according to Psalms 23.3, it says this. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So number three, the shepherd leads. The shepherd leads us. How many of you have figured this out already? As you live a lot of life, there's a lot of wrong choices that you can make. There's a lot of paths that you can take. Some lead to um, destructiveness. Some lead to places that make us closer to Jesus. But the truth is, there's a path, and if you take it, it has God's name on it. The thing that I love about Jesus is as we allow the Father to lead us, the Father is always going to lead us to places that will always overflow with joy. Always. You ever you notice somebody that, and it's like this passage that we talked about in 1 Corinthians, people that they might be wise. The Bible kind of talks to them like they're wise in their own eyes. You ever sit down with somebody and like it does not matter what you say, they always have it all figured out. It does not matter if you've been working in the medical field for 45 years and you got some young guy that comes in, he's been there for two years, and he goes, well, you know what, what you really need to do. And, and this guy that's been in it for like 45 years has been like, dude, just hold your tongue, man. I've been doing this for a long time. I know what I'm doing. But he thinks he's got it all figured out. And it, it's honestly, it's people that think that they can lead themselves better than the great shepherd. It's people that think they're wise in their own eyes and they don't need a father and they don't need a shepherd. They have many guides, but they don't have a father. 
that many people that, hey, they can call maybe ask for wisdom, but they don't have a father that's going to look them in the face and say, you know what, you really blew it, and I'm going to help you, and I'm going to restore you, and I'm going to get you back to a place you need to be. I would encourage you in here, man, if you're a young man, if you're a young man, like, find a man that is passionate, an older man that just loves Jesus, and get to know that guy really well, really well. The only reason that I can that I can have any wisdom or any say is because there are so many people, my dad and some of our other pastors that are older than me and been doing this a whole lot longer than me, and I can go, look, I don't know what I'm doing. What do I do? I try to put fathers in my life that can lead me. And here's the hard thing about leadership, here's, and here's the hard thing about following, is good leaders tell you the truth. Good friends, good fathers tell you the truth even when it hurts. Man, even when it just crushes you. They love you so much that they're willing to tell you the truth. When I was uh, growing up, we used to live on a very uh, busy street. And so my, my mom and my dad would oftentimes make us play in the backyard. And every now and then, we'd go out and we'd play in uh, front yard. Well, one day we we're all sitting out. We had this porch on the front porch, and we we're eating popsicles. And my brother Matt, who is my third brother, uh, he was a wanderer. Any any parents had like a wanderer? <laughs> like you're sitting in like one second, you look back and they're gone. Well, that's what my brother Matt was. He was just constantly wandering. And um, we, my mom's like frantically searching for him. Where did he go? And so you know, as a mom, the first thought is, Oh my gosh, he got squashed by a car. He's dead. He's dead. All moms, it's like that you go from a situation where you just broke your thumb to the next situation. He's, he's going to die. He's going to die. And so my mom's frantically freaking out, looking for him. And we look out in the front yard, and you see this little body right in the road, in the middle of the road. And he's standing there, and this is not a joke. I cannot make this stuff up. With his pants down, peeing in the road. In the middle of traffic, my mom freaks out. Freaks out. So we run out there and all these cars are kind of whizzing by and we grab him. Now my mom has two options, two approaches that she could have taken in that moment. Number one, Matthew, don't ever go on the road again. I'm going to have to discipline you. It's going to be really dangerous. Or approach number two, what in the world are you doing? Now, because she was a little stern with him, does it make her a bad mom? Absolutely not. She feared for her child's life, and she was willing to jump out there and shake some sense into him and say, don't ever go in the road again, because if you do, it could kill you. And that's truth, spoken in love. She loves him so much that she's willing to rattle him a little bit. He never went in the road again. And listen, I can't explain everything that goes on in your life, but sometimes that's what God does. Man, you're, you're in this circumstance and you're trying to say, listen, I love you so much that I'm going to put you through some things that may not make sense and may be hard, but I want you to know that you need to return. You need to return. People ask me all this, people ask me this all the time. How do I know what God's will is for my life? Like, how do I know what I'm supposed to be doing for my life? That's the popular question with young adults, right? The 20s, 21, teenagers, like, what do I do with the rest of my life? What has God called me to do? Here's John 10, 3, verse through 5, and hopefully this will answer this question. The sheep listen to his voice, 
He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The sheep follow him because, what? They know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. See, we're able to be led by God because we know what his voice sounds like. So here's the truth. Maybe some of us have a problem trying to figure out what we should do next. Or we have a problem. What is the will of God for my life? Here's the question that I would ask you. Do you know what Jesus' voice sounds like? Or are we so busy? Are we so distracted? Are we so involved in our own things that we don't know what his voice sounds like. And maybe the reason that we're having a hard time is because we simply don't know what his voice sounds like. How can you follow someone when they don't know what they sound like? Does anybody have that friend when they call you, they don't even say their name, they're just like, hey, and you instantly know who it is? You instantly know who it is. Why? Because you know their voice. You've spent time with them. You've had memories with them. You've done all kinds of things. So when they speak, you know their voice. It's the same question that I have for you this morning. Do you know Jesus' voice? Do you know Jesus' voice? Number four. Well, before I go to that, let me... I think, tragically, the reason that so many of us have a hard time hearing the voice of Jesus is because the only time that we spend with Jesus is on Sunday. Is on Sunday. Now listen, this is going to hurt, okay? Just brace yourself. It's going to hurt, but I promise you, if we can get this, it's going to change a lot of things for you. In Louisiana, and I've said this before, we love our culture, and I love our culture. I've been all over the U.S., and Louisiana has the nicest people in the world. In the world. But the one thing that I think that is so dangerous, especially in the South, is we genuinely believe as long as we go to church and get our Jesus fix on Sunday that we're good. Like this is all that we need. And this is important to find family. But ultimately, Jesus wants you to know what his voice sounds like. And in order to do that, it has to be a daily pursuit. A daily pursuit. Like even when you don't feel like it. Even when it's hard. Even when kids are screaming and you want to just rip your hair out. Even when it's difficult. And listen, it may look different every single day based on your schedule. Listen, there's times my wife, my wife does not, if you're a mom of four, you'll understand this. My wife does not have the time to sit down and read tons of scripture. It's just not going to happen. She, she's pregnant. We've got four kids, soon to be five. There's no way that she's going to sit down and just pile through verses and chapters. So my wife, what she do? Like all throughout the day, she's listening to music. She's listening to podcasts. Or she's got one headphone in so she can hear something and another ear out so she can hear kids. She prays a lot. <laughs> like, God, don't help, help me not to kill them. God, help me. So listen, you might have a different schedule and maybe your life looks a little bit different, but the most important thing that you have is your relationship with Jesus. I said this, the very first sermon that we preached here ever was a sermon called Fight to Know. And you have to fight to know Jesus. You have to fight past your circumstances and you have to fight past your emotions. Because here's the truth, you're as close to God as you want to be right now. 
right now. In this moment in time, you're as close to God as you choose to be. And here's the truth. Even though God is a good, good father, sometimes we don't feel like it because we're so numb and we're so busy that it feels like, man, God is anything but good to me. And sometimes that is of our own doing. We're numbing things out. We're, we're, we're not, um, we're, we're, we're staying busy. So number four, according to Psalms 23, 4, yea, though I walk through the, I love this verse, the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Second Timothy says this, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me, but the Lord stood at my side and he gave me strength. Number four, the shepherd supports. The shepherd supports. Here's the truth. When you're at the graveside, Jesus is with you. When you're in the courtroom, because of a bad decision that you made, Jesus is with you. When you're at the bedside of somebody who can't get up anymore, Jesus is with you. When you're in the emergency room and you don't know what to do, he's with you. We've talked about this over and over. When you get that phone call and you don't know what to do, he's with you. He's with you. We all need to remember and know that the shepherd is near. He's near. He's a good, good father. And listen, just because we talked about this at Men's Bible Study. Just because you had a good week doesn't mean that you're in better standing with Jesus. And just because you had a bad week doesn't mean that you've lost that intimacy. Listen, you could have had an awful week and Jesus is still near. You could have had an awful day. He's still near. He still loves you just as much when you were performing well. He's still near. Number five, according to Psalms 23, 4, the verse continues, your rod and your staff, this is going to be important right here, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Here's the truth. Many of you have been part of a church where maybe the pastor abused you with words. You, you, never, you ever walk, and what I mean by this is you get into um, a church or you go to a church camp or a thing and, and their way of you connecting with Jesus is going to just be to scare the living heck out of you. Like, if you go out of here and you die today, will you go to hell? Oh, God, like, and you're, like, praying the prayer, like, all over again, right? You pray the prayer, like, a thousand times, and you're, and you're going, all right, I'm, I better just pray it one more time. Make sure if I didn't really get it right the first time, I'll pray it again. And so the tactic is to scare you into loving Jesus, but the truth is, when you understand the gospel and how simple it is that Jesus came for your filthiness, and all you have to do is turn and repent and come to know him, and then he completely wipes away all of your past, and it's done, that should make you come to a place where you say, I want to give absolutely everything to Jesus. He defends you. He loves you. He would not have said the rod. Why does he say the rod and the staff comfort me when the rod and the staff is the one breaking the sheep's legs? Why is that a comfort? It's a comfort because this. The rod was not necessarily always intended for you. It was intended for the wolf. 
you see, I don't know if you've, you've got this yet, but as you go out there, there are always things that are going to take your focus and your attention off of Jesus. And as long as you stay close to the Father, He's going to protect you and He's going to defend you. Listen, it says that the enemy comes like a crouching lion. Like you don't see it coming. You're like that zebra. <laughs> you ever watch the National Geographic shows? Like, no, don't eat him. And that lion is just sitting there waiting. Listen, you go all throughout life and you're like, man, life is going great. And you don't realize that he's there waiting for you in the corner. And the reason that you need a shepherd is because he has a rod and he's there to defend the wolves. He's there to beat off the things that are coming to destroy your soul. Listen, this world, all that it's selling is never, ever better than what Jesus has for us. And the reason that the rod and the staff is such a comfort is because as long as we stay close to Jesus, it's like staying underneath that umbrella. Man, as long as I'm with Jesus, the storm of life might be going on all around me, but he's defending me. He's protecting me. He's guiding me. He's leading me. Because here's the truth. Your willpower is no match for sin. Listen, some of you might have like just this internal, um, some of us are just good at having a good internal discipline. Like some of us are just naturally disciplined. You, get, you spring out of bed in the morning, you go to the gym, you work out, you go to work, and then you go to bed late and you can still wake up early. Like you're just naturally disciplined. I hate you. <laughs> I'm not like that. Like, I'm, I get out of bed in the morning, I'm like, no, <laughs> like five snoozes, right? The shepherd defends. You're no match for sin. You need a shepherd that has a rod that's beating off the wood, the wolves. You need a father that knows when the enemy is coming and protects you from being devoured. Any dads in here have a, a daughter? A show of hands. Any dads have a daughter? Okay. Listen, you're going to know what I'm about to say. We had three boys, well, no, two boys, um, Eli and Isaac, and then uh, I was the kind of dad that I was like, I'm, I'm never going to dance. Just, it's not happening. Like, I don't dance. I'm not going to dance. I'm not going to do, like, I, I couldn't make myself come to those, those places. And then I have Amelia. And it's literally like my entire world just goes, like, you want to dance? Okay, I'm going to look like a moron and dance. Everything, my entire worldview begins to change as soon as we have this girl. Like, immediately, I'm like, I, I, there's no way. I can never give her away. It's, the only person that can marry her is Jesus. It's it. Like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I heard a story of um, a dad and I probably will do it one day. This guy comes, shows up at the house, knocks on the door, and he's there to take his, his daughter out. And so the, the boyfriend comes up, he grabs the uh, daughter, and they go out to the car, and dad says, hey, hold on, wait. And he throws him something. And the guy, the boyfriend catches it, and he looks at it, and it's a bullet. And he says, hey, listen, um, if you touch my daughter, the next one's coming a whole lot faster. <laughs> Oh, God, okay. Um, so I think I'm going to use that tactic. Or like one of those things, like he comes up and I'm just sitting there and all camoed out. Camoed out with like my machine guns, rifles, all this kind of stuff. 
But if you, you understand this, if you have a daughter, that you will do absolutely anything you have to do to protect her. Or for the matter, any one of your kids. You've seen it all over um, before, but moms have seen where their child gets stuck underneath a car and they literally have superhuman strength where they lift the car. It's like something comes over them and I'm going to do everything I can to protect and defend my daughter or my child. Listen, that small ounce of passion and compassion and love that you feel for your child fails in comparison to the father has for you. There is nothing, nothing that you can do, the Bible teaches us, that can ever separate you from the love of Jesus. Ever. And listen, this is what you have got to understand this morning, that God is so good, even when you're not, He still pursues you. He still pursues even when you're wandering from the flock. Even when you think in that moment that my way is better, God still pursues you because he loves you so much. See, in John 11, we learn that the good shepherd, what? He lays his life down for the sheep. He loves them so much that he dies on a cross for you and for me. Psalms 23, 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Jesus says, you know what? You can sit down and eat while a war's going on, and you don't have to fight. Why? Because I'm going to fight for you. See, when you went to bed last night, think of it this way. When you went to bed last night, there are men and there are women across the other side of the globe fighting for you, right? Fighting for our freedom. It's the same way that God operates. When you go to bed at night, there's a shepherd that is defending off the wolves that are prowling and crouching to steal your soul. It's the same thing that Jesus does for you and for me. Last point. Psalms 23, 5 through 6. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So number six, the shepherd blesses. See, if you've been with us for the past three weeks, we've been talking about generosity. And maybe if you missed it, I would definitely encourage you to go um, listen to it on the podcast. But there, we've talked about this concept that some of us think that God is a withholder. Like when he calls us to give, when he calls us to be generous, we think that he's taking something from us. The truth is we learn that it's the furthest from the truth. He's ultimately a giver. He lays down his life for us. Ultimately, his goodness will chase you down and you become so overwhelmed and you feel so blessed because you have a God who is a good father that pursues you relentlessly. Even when you make the excuse of going, God, why haven't you given up on me yet? You ever get to that point in life where you're just kind of like, you're praying the prayer and you're like, God, like, I've, I've done this like 2,000 times. If you want to forgive me, you can't, but I totally understand if you don't. You ever gotten there before? Like, I totally understand if you don't. And I really think that God laughs at those prayers. Like, what? Did you not understand that what I did was so great, it doesn't matter how much you screw up? 
no matter what your emotions are telling you, that I love you so much that I draw you in, no matter how evil or how far that you think you've gone, it's what I love about the gospel. It almost seems too good to be true, doesn't it? Like, how could a God, after all of my pain that I've caused my family or that I've caused my mother or that have the relationships that I've burned, how can a God still love me so passionately? Hebrews 13, 20-21 says this, May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with every good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. So here's the question. What do, what do we do with all this? What do we do with all this? There's only one response. is to know the shepherd. To do whatever is necessary to know the shepherd. Listen, this is not um, necessarily, I guess, the popular version of Christianity, but it's the right one. To know Jesus, you have to do whatever it takes, even if it makes you uncomfortable. Even if it makes you uncomfortable. Men, even if it makes you be vulnerable with your emotions and you don't like it. We've got to do it. There's too much at stake. Your soul. There's too much at stake for us to hide behind insecurities, pride, preconceived notions. The only answer to being overwhelmed with the sense that Jesus is so good is to lose yourself in order to find yourself. Like you do whatever is necessary, whatever you need to do to know Jesus, you do it. And listen, I don't need to tell you what that is. Because some of you are sitting in here right now and it's just going, you feel it. You know what you need to do. And the truth is, when we feel that, it's conviction, it's the Holy Spirit working, moving in us. And it's so easy to just suppress it and go, I don't need to do that. I don't want to do that. Why? Because it's so hard. It's so hard. It's too difficult. I'm going to lose some friends. I'm going to lose some relationships. One thing in life that I've learned through my dad is my dad has always been an open book. Always. The thing I've loved about his journey with cancer is literally stood up on the stage and just told people his, his deepest thoughts, his greatest fears. He's just been an open book. He's been so honest. And it's what I love about him because if there's anything... that I take away from my relationship with my dad is simply this. My dad is a man that is willing to put himself out there regardless of how he looks in order for his soul to be healthy. In order for his soul to be healthy. There's some of us here 
we're honest, we're not close to the shepherd. We don't know the chief shepherd. And I want to invite you back. I want to invite you back. There's a sign, a slide that we have um, that you see probably every Sunday, and it just says, Welcome home. And I think that's something that Jesus wants to speak to you this morning. Like, if you've gone astray, like, welcome home. It's as simple as that. There's not like this 12-step process that you have to go through to be received back through Jesus. It's simply going, all right, I died in myself, my will, and my want, and God, here. 